From Upstate Medical University, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. An infectious disease expert at Upstate worked with Army colleagues to investigate the psychological perspective of the U.S. service members who responded to the Ebola crisis. With me in the studio today is Dr. Stephen Thomas. He's a professor of medicine and of microbiology and immunology, and he specializes in infectious diseases. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to hear more about this study, but let's first remind listeners about what the Ebola crisis was. It wasn't that long ago. No. Uh, so the the majority of the crisis was between uh, 2014 and 2016. It was declared by the World Health Organization as a, a public health emergency. Um, you know, at the end, they believe that about 28, over 28,000 people were actually infected and uh, of that number, about 11,000 uh, died. And of course, the the impact, though, was not just in West Africa, right? It was a global uh, impact, and it impacted travel, it impacted commerce, it impacted uh, uh, the survivors uh, and their family members, and um, the financial uh, impact just for the United States was billions of dollars. So, it, And there were yeah. people in America that had the disease, Right. So there were uh, there were people who returned from travel that uh, um, that had been infected and were were treated at various uh, medical centers in the United States. And I remember the you know the quarantines and the things. It was right. It was yeah, there was a lot of there was a lot of information misinformation, uh, and um, there was a lot of anxiety. Well, the study you were involved in, um, and there were a few studies that you've done, but um, it looked at the psychological response to in service members who were deployed to Liberia. Um, so there's one study you had in the journal Military Medicine um, looking at these the psychological response. Why is this an important thing to study? Right. So I guess um, I'll take sort of a high-level view initially. So um, I was in the Army at the time, so you're correct in saying the Army colleagues. I was, uh, I was a, a colonel in the U.S. Army Medical Corps, and I worked at the Walter Reed Army Institute of Research, which is the, the DOD's uh, largest biomedical research and development uh, facility. It's in Silver Spring, Maryland. And half of that organization is uh, dedicated to um, uh, mitigating the threat of infectious diseases for the service member, but the other half of the institute uh, is a, a center that is focused on military psychiatry and neuroscience. And so they look at um, PTSD, they look at traumatic brain injuries, they look at concussion, they look at the impact of um, mental and behavioral health issues um, on operational performance as well as just general wellness. They do an incredible amount of research on sleep and the impact that sleep has on operational performance. So when it was decided by the White House that the uh, U.S. military was going to participate in the global response uh, and the president um, was going to order approximately 3,000 U.S. service members uh, to go to Liberia as part of Operation United Assistance, um, I me being primarily on the infectious diseases side, reached out to the colleagues on the military psychiatry side. And I said, you know, listen, there have been past outbreaks where um, people that have responded in a, a medical provider capacity uh, detailed their experiences and, and it wasn't, uh, and there were a lot of psychosocial issues that weren't necessarily thought about or addressed in a, in sort of a prospective way. And um, the military psychiatry group had done this related to combat operations. But this was kind of a new operation. I mean, the military has been involved uh, in responding to medical 
um, crises before, but this was a little bit um, different and the circumstances were a little bit different. So we thought that it would be something important to um, to prospectively think about and look at and think about the questions. And, um, and at the same time we were thinking about this, um, the senior leadership within the Department of Defense was trying to understand um, so if we send 3,000 service members to a quote-unquote hot zone, when they redeploy and come back to the United States, what does this mean for the communities that they come back to and reintegrate into? Um, what does this mean uh, from an infectious diseases standpoint, but also what does this mean from just a, a psychological standpoint? The service members' psychology, the community psychology, their family members, um, and so it, there was lots and lots of discussion, but in the end, a, uh, a policy of controlled monitoring um, was, uh, was put in place, which meant that when a service member redeployed from, uh, uh, from West Africa, they would be put into um, a 21-day period where they were um, uh, basically, quarant- I guess quarantined is a word you could use, but uh, they were basically put in a situation where they were monitored and they were having their temperatures taken every day and they were reporting um, you know, if they were having any health effect, you know, if they were having any signs or symptoms of disease, they were, uh, given opportunities to, um, kind of decompress from the, uh, uh, the deployment to do training, to do education, uh, to just exercise, to do all these sorts of things. So this um, is when they got back correct. from Africa, but before they went to their back home. Right. Cause normally what could happen is it would, might be just a couple of days between the time that you redeploy from an operation and the time that you're back with your family. So this added another three weeks where they were separated from, uh, separated their, from their families, um, in terms of physical contact, obviously, you know, phones and Skype and things like that uh, were still in play. Um, so, you know, there it was a very difficult decision, I think, for, um, uh, you know, Pentagon senior leadership to make this decision, but they made the decision. And so these, these studies uh, kind of detail at a very high level um, how the service member felt about that decision and how they felt about being put into a controlled monitoring situation. And um, I think overall the uh, the attitudes that they had towards quarantine and these um, uh, and the attitudes that they had towards their leadership were uh, you know generally very very positive and we can talk a little bit about the specifics if you'd like um, and there was also some interesting uh, uh, unexpected um, uh, perspectives about the quarantine. So, Well, I that's definitely want to ask you about that. Yeah. Um, this is Upstate's Health Link on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with infectious disease expert, Dr. Stephen Thomas. Um, I'd like to know how, because you have these 3,000 service members, um, how you set these studies up. You talked to them before they left, while they were gone, uh, when they got back. Um, did you did you get any sense for whether there was fear going to an Ebola, like you call it a hot zone, where right. there's poss- Ebola versus combat. How right. do those compare? Right. So we so there were about three thousand service members from you know multiple different uh, branches of the military that um, that deployed to West Africa. We focused on a couple of specific units. Um, they were army units. These were units that uh, the military psychiatry and neuroscience folks had worked with. Uh, before primarily in combat-related uh, missions, we had a very very short timeline 
in which to put all of this together. Uh, putting all this together involved not only thinking through the what questions do we have, how are we going to ask the questions, how are we going to, you know, what kind of information are we going to get, is it going to be able to be analyzed and sort of um, informative in any way. But we had to get ethical review committee approval. We had to be able to um, uh, have permissions to engage the troops. We had to be able to, which meant we had to go and talk to their leadership and and uh, uh, had to brief them on what we wanted to do and, and why we wanted to, uh, uh, to do it. Um, and then it became, once all those approvals were in place, and, and I, I will say that the, um, you know, it's it's complex and hard enough work for these service members and their leadership to get ready for a deployment. To add additional layers of complexity is not easy, but they were incredibly welcoming, and they were really interested in having this having this done. Um, so once once all those approvals were in place, then it, it was in the form of a, um, an anonymous questionnaire that people could uh, fill out, and about five hundred people or so um, filled it out and. Um, the, uh, the, the study that's detailed in, in public health looks at the, the, um, the questionnaire that was completed in the last three days of, of quarantine. Um, and, uh, yeah, and that, that was pretty much how the, uh, how the study was done. And it was sort of incorporated into the, uh, um, the, the pre-deployment training that they went through in the pre-deployment, uh, um, briefings. So to get to the second part of your question about how did people generally feel, well, they, they, they clearly were able to distinguish this mission from combat missions. That was the first thing. Um, they, they understood what they were, what they, where they were going, why they were going there. Um, they understood what the risks were. Um, and, you know, those risks were, and if you just think about the infectious disease risk, um, they understood that, yes, they were going to an Ebola hot zone, but they also understood how do you get Ebola and how do you not get Ebola? And they understood what their mission was going to be. And they knew that they were not going to be, they did not have a patient care mission. They understood they were not going to be dealing with people that had, had uh, died of Ebola, right? They weren't going to be doing, uh, you know, dealing with uh, bodies, basically. Um, and so, uh, and, and this was because their, you know, the military leadership and the infectious diseases and other medical personnel put together very, very good briefings prior to the deployment to inform people about um, how you get these diseases. You know, I, at, at the time, I was the infectious diseases consultant to the U.S. Army Surgeon General, and she asked me, you know, are you, are, are you concerned about our troops getting exposed to Ebola? And I said, no, ma'am, I'm, I'm concerned about malaria <laughs> a lot more than I'm concerned about Ebola. Because we had sent uh, a couple hundred Marines 10 years before to Liberia, and about 30% of them came down with very severe malaria. So the service members understood that, you know, we're going and doing this mission because of Ebola, but we have to be concerned about you know, malaria, other diseases that can be transmitted by mosquitoes or ticks or things like that. We have to be concerned about traveler's diarrhea. I mean, like they, un they understood. Um, and so, so well, I let think me it, ask you yeah. this. Did, did any service members get Ebola on this no. deployment? Did any get malaria? So, you know, I think this is another, uh, it's not, this, it's not in the papers, but, um, 
So our primary focus was, or our primary concern was malaria, and we had a very good, um, in some cases, directly observed therapy. In other cases, it was the service member taking responsibility for ensuring they were taking their malaria prophylaxis. Uh, and not a single, uh, at least at the time that, as of when I left the military back in October of 16, um, not a single service member had contracted the severe form of malaria. We did have other types of malaria that are less severe, but the fatal form, the form that the Marines had experienced 10 years prior, um, at least at the time that I left, not a, a single service member that I was aware of. So that was a huge, a huge win. Well, you alluded to something that um, surprised you in this work. Yeah, so it was interesting because we asked the service members about, um, so we wanted to know about their attitudes towards quarantine. And so it was um, kind of complete this sentence. The 20-day the controlled monitoring period um, will reduce anxiety in our communities, for example, or is understandable or will help keep our families safe. So we asked them questions about that. We asked them about the behaviors of their leadership and whether or not they felt their leaders were... Um, sort of focused on healthcare prevention and preventive medicine. We asked them questions about that and their perceptions of how they were being led. Um, and, you know, the responses that we got. And then we asked about family support and how important was that? How important was it that the family understood, okay, I, I know I'm not going to see you for another three weeks, even though you may be down the road mm-hmm. <laughs> in that military installation, but I understand why that's important to you um, to me, to our community. So we asked about those things and, you know, both the, their perceptions of family support and their perception of, um, positive leader support. Um, it decreased symptoms of anxiety, of, uh, insomnia, of decreased functional impairment, uh, and improved their own personal, uh, positive attitudes about the whole process and, and what they were doing. Um, it decreased, uh, depressive symptoms in some people, uh, but what was not expected was that about one in five of the people that we uh, surveyed thought that this controlled monitoring program should be part of every deployment, whether it was an yeah, whether it was an infectious disease deployment or a combat mission, um, because they you know the the people that responded this way kind of felt that you know that three week experience was a very helpful transition for them from going to, yeah, from going to a very foreign environment to, uh, you know, coming back into, um, into the United States. Um, it just gave them a time to decompress, to catch up on sleep, to, uh, you know, if they were having any health ailments, to get them taken care of. It gave them an opportunity to, um, uh, just, you know, uh, get the things done that you need to get done wow. when you redeploy, uh, to just get it done in a different sort of timeline. Um, you know, and, and so it was. Uh, that was surprising to us, and um, yeah. Well, before I let you go, I've got to ask if Ebola is still a threat. Um, so it's it's certainly not a threat at the scale that it was back in 2014 to 2016. But there are always, uh, it's always there. It's always um, you know in the environment, and there's always the possibility that somebody will inadvertently come across it and 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 it could be uh, transmitted to a human and then they could transmit to other humans um but you know ebola is just one of the many flavors <laughs> of uh infectious diseases that have potential to emerge or reemerge um you know mers-cov which is a very severe respiratory uh, virus has been in the news a lot in the middle east um has about you know uh, a 20 to 40% mortality rate and can be 
transmitted pretty readily between people. Uh, the Zika outbreak, which uh, we all lived through most recently. Um, you know, yellow fever in Brazil right now is a major problem and there's not enough vaccine. Um, there's always the concern. I mean, this year's just regular seasonal influenza kills between 30 and 50,000 people just in this country every year. Um, so there, there's, there are lots and lots of threats out there. And as we wrote in the paper, and it still is my opinion, um, you know, the military, uh, just because of how they're organized and how they do their jobs, uh, they can, you know, when it's a large scale problem, like the Ebola outbreak in West Africa, they can play a very valuable role. And um, it, I would guess, and I would wager that um, because of the success they had uh, in Operation United Assistance, they may be called upon Again, in others, uh, yeah, in other scenarios, and so I think the information that uh, you know, and this is, you know, just a couple, you know, this is five hundred service members filling out surveys and talking to people, but I think it's valuable information, and I think it will help to inform uh, senior leadership within the Pentagon uh, and within the different branches of the military as they plan for future wow. deployments. Well, thank you so much for the information. My guest has been Dr. Stephen Thomas, a professor of medicine and microbiology and immunology at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.